Welcome to another Fuds on Film podcast. My name is Scott Morris. I'm joined today by Drew Tavendale. Good evening. And Craig Eastman. Hello. Today we've decided to talk a little bit about some films that were inspired by, but not directly based on, video games. I mean, it's something we've had knocking around for a while, but I guess it came to my mind again when I saw the trailer for uh, Ready Player One and spent a few days unproductively reading that novel, which was no good whatsoever. <laughs> it is not a good novel. <laughs> No, but Scott, it's a list of things from the 80s with a very, very loose linking <laughs> mechanic. It's clearly the best of things. I think that's why I got through the book so quickly, because every chapter there was at least three pages out of six dedicated to just being one big long list of stuff that I just skipped over. Yes. So. I can confirm I remember these things. I listened, um, I actually I didn't read the book, I listened to the audiobook at double speed. The audiobook, which is indeed read by Will Wheaton, as if it couldn't be any more of a ridiculous... <laughs> pop culture geek thing from the from the 80s yeah. add in wesley crusher as well <laughs> yes it is it is not a, a good book so i'm not looking forward to the film because it is just a list of references <laughs> uh yes that brought back this little theme of a couple of a couple of films we could actually have chosen um surprisingly there's more than two for this but we decided we'd spare you <laughs> a trip to jared butlerville with gamer <laughs> i did wonder about that <laughs> yes uh, so these two are, well, maybe not more enjoyable, but um, probably have a bit more merit in, in discussing. Yes, uh, and so. Also, there is, we were originally going to consider um, Gamer in here, as Scott mentioned, but I particularly requested that we replace that with um, Tron so that Craig and I could come to blows once again over 1982 sci-fi films. <laughs> I will not be rising to that. <laughs> You're no fun. Right, so we will start off, I think, with Tron, and uh, that's me, so over to me. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tron, uh, the past is a foreign country, they do things differently there. In this instance, 1982 is a foreign country, and the USA is also a foreign country. I've not thought this through, uh, I was getting confusing. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is that Disney's Tron came out in 1982, which in terms of computer technology development, might as well be categorised alongside the Abacus. It feels as though Tron needs a little introduction, but I should bear in mind that new, non-Tron-aware humans are created by the day, and on its release, Tron rather underwhelmed, so some introduction at least seems warranted. Kevin Flynn, Jeff Bridges, runs that most missed haven of our youth in arcade by day while trying to hack into the systems of his ex-employer Encom by night, hoping to find the proof that he needs that he'd been defrauded. Fellow employee Ed Dillinger, played by David Warner, stole the games he'd been working on and released them to great success and acclaim quickly rising to become the face that runs the place. Flynn has sympathetic friends still at MCOM, chiefly Bruce Boxleitner's Alan Bradley and Cindy Morgan's Dr Laura Barnes, but he's unable to penetrate the firewalls of the Master Control Programme. In artificial intelligence, Dillinger was using to consolidate control of various computer systems both inside and outside of the company, but it rather seems as though the MCP may now be running Dillinger rather than the other way about. Convinced that the only way through the security will be to physically access Encom's network, Flynn convinces Bradley and Baines to sneak him into the facility. At this point, fans of computer science and physics accuracy in movies had better stop <laughs> listening. While Flynn's poking around, the MCP fires off an experimental laser that digitises Flynn and drops him into the computer system, represented here as a bunch of dudes and dudettes wandering around in neon outfits doing... something, I suppose? while the jackbooted thugs of the fascist MCP police state keep most of them in a state of terror. 
Singled out for particular attention are those computer bods who still profess to believe in the users responsible for their creation, what with their hokey religions and ancient weapons and whatnot. What follows is, well, not quite what my motherboard's troubleshooting guide tells me happens inside computers, but I suppose it'll do. Uh, Flynn is captured and thrown into a series of gladiatorial games where he fights for his life before being busted out by Tron, Boxleitner, Bradley's security programme, kicking off a chase that sees them try to shut down the MCP while avoiding the forces arrayed through a variety of means that make for interesting enough set pieces but don't stand up to an awful lot of academic rigour. A solar sail simulation? What? Uh, Sean, <laughs> it turns out, is one of those films I'm convinced I've seen a dozen times but it turns out to be a dozen different ten-minute stretches when it was on telly before changing the channel to find something a bit more interesting. So it turns out this might well be the first time I've watched it from start to finish. I don't think I appreciate it all that much more from seeing it in context, to be honest. It's not that I dislike Tron, and indeed, there's a few things to like in here. The actors are all charming enough in their roles, but primarily the film's selling point is, of course, the visual effects, which are abstracted and stylized uh, so much that they hold up pretty well today, I think. Mm. Uh, I think primarily because it's worked out a pretty cohesive visual language for the computer world and stuck to it that it's convincing, if not realistic, if that makes any kind of sense. Mm. It's legitimately impressive to this day. Certainly it doesn't seem all that less visually interesting than 2010's Tron Legacy, which, given the strides effects work has made since then, is pretty remarkable. Unfortunately, most of the other aspects of Tron I am somewhere between not bothered with or actively disliking, which very much brings the average down. Actually, the only thing I really dislike is Wendy Carlos's soundtrack, which I do not get on with at all. It sounds like a synthesizer <laughs> being tortured with a cello. But I could get over that if there was some kind of compelling narrative to back it up, but Tron's is, well... Not nonsensical exactly, but a pretty close relative to nonsensical. It's just a bunch of fetch quests leading to a boss battle, which I suppose fits the inspired-by-a-video-game theme quite yeah. well. Uh, however, <laughs> g- given that for all their supposed narrative sophistication, you can't call a decent film from modern video games, what hope do you have of pulling one out of light cycles? Uh, the standard discourse in Tron these days appears to be to give it plaudits for its groundbreaking effects work and ignore everything else, and if you can somehow attune your expectations accordingly, then there's some merit in watching the film. However, it's a narrative wasteland, and it rarely displays any sort of human emotions, so there's not a great many levels in which to enjoy it, other than the visual. Honestly, you'd get the best of this film by watching a trailer for it on YouTube. End of line. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's fine. I make no argument for it, but I um, I really like Tron. I've always really liked Tron. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole again of discussing all the reasons why I like Tron. As a as a yarn, I think it's great. The 10-year-old in me really still appreciates Tron. I can look at it now and understand it's not a great movie. But I find enough in there that harkens back to my youth, purely from a nostalgia input point of view. I still really enjoy Tron. I haven't watched it in, I haven't watched it in some time, only up until last week and prep for this and even at that I watched it very much skimming through while I was doing other things because I feel it's one of those films I'm just familiar enough with but I'm not going to stand here and defend its honour in the face of critical analysis from (laughs) someone such as yourself Scott who I'm not going to suggest you don't have the faculties to deal with this film appropriately and I'm certainly not going to argue it's a great film because it's not I just really really enjoy it um, as, as what it is empty calories and One can understand why people make an argument for it purely from the standpoint of aesthetic. It's very annoying in this day and age very much how words like literally have been misappropriated. So too has the word iconic 
and actually sifting mm. sifting through all of those references to how iconic certain stuff is to find something which is genuinely iconic um, is becoming increasingly more of a chore by the day at this point. But I think there's a pretty good argument in Tron's case that visually speaking, um, yeah. it's an iconic movie. There are other films which might be as visually distinctive as Tron in its world building, but I don't think there are any films which are more visually distinctive. Um, yeah. I'm always I'm open to corrections there of course if anybody feels differently please let me know but i still think yes purely from a visual standpoint if one is able to disengage uh, one's brain effectively you can still just enjoy this film purely from a visual standpoint and as you say scott it is consistent enough in its through line visually that really and it's and its style is so far removed from anything else at the time and both sort of quite simple in a sense but complicated at the same time um that it has aged incredibly well more so than many, many more recent films. And of course, marking as it did um, a super early deployment of CG in movies, one would expect straight away that, well, of course, even Jurassic Park looks, you know, is starting to look a little bit dodgy around the edges these days. But actually, in Tron's case, stylistically, it plays into the world-building aspect of the film and it has survived remarkably well. So, yeah. yes, I'm, I'm not going to make any great argument as to why you should listen to me and not anyone else. I just personally still really, really like Tron and that's enough. I will not fight you, Drew. I will not fight you. I'm very disappointed, Greg. <laughs> Please, Drew, I don't want trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I remember in the past quite vehemently disliking this, but I think that's a, the exaggerated, unnecessary emotion that comes from the times of adolescence, which have been the first time we really spoke about it, Greg. I, th- I think you were just really hoping to get a rise out of me. But tonight... No, well, back then. Previously, no, yeah. no. I, I never. I, I really actively disliked Tron. Uh, although I know it lasted certainly a bit beyond adolescence because I do remember <laughs> you forcing me to borrow Up your until 20... as recently as like last year or so. <laughs> I remember you f- um, pretty much forcing me to borrow your twentieth anniversary DVD set to watch it again, yes. and that was within twenty or two. Um, yes. So that's... Don't make me press this DVD into your eyes, Drew. <laughs> um, and I still didn't appreciate it then. I, I didn't like it much. I'm kind of pleased, I guess, to find that on having watched it a few weeks ago in preparation for this, that I still don't like the film, but I found something to appreciate this time. <laughs> I'm pleased to not like this. <laughs> no, I'm not pleased to not like it, but I'm, I'm pleased that that, that I wasn't like all I thought about. The honest, the biggest downside of this film was that it did bring about Tron Legacy, which while it had considerably improved soundtrack, also had the floaty head Jeff Bridges, which still <laughs> gives me nightmares. Um, but this film, it's, early, it's an interesting artefact, if nothing else, because it is the early days of both CGI and of computer games, really. Yeah. And, you know, when arcades really were such a big, big thing, and it was before the computer game crashed, so video gaming's first heyday and it's a it's an obvious thing sensible thing to have made a film from then and i think they actually did a passable job at it Uh, yes the the narrative is well yes the narrative is definitely there just (laughs) (laughs) but i kind of get where they're coming from they're trying to explain to people exactly the idea of how a computer works and with where it's considerably less well understood than now less Mm. commonly known I, I would debate explaining it. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, I mean, what, what what they've done, which is, you could take this narrative and apply it pretty much beat for beat to any sort of standard fantasy 
troop. Like, they're going to see the Oracle. They've got to get the magic MacGuffin. They've got to use the magic yeah, MacGuffin yeah. to kill the bad guy. Right, so they've taken that <laughs> sort of narrative the of Oz with CGI. <laughs> Yeah, they've just taken that and sort of applied it to sort of vaguely computerish terms. Yeah, and, um, and, and they've, I, rolled, I, they've I, rolled it across a chopping board, dusted with like random computing terms, <laughs> and they've seen what stuck to it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, the, I kind of like the concept on paper. I like Tron. I like Tron more than the actuality of it. Mm-hmm. I think I, I can I can see where the, the ideas were coming from, and as I say, completely respect the, the visual achievements that they come up with for this. But yeah, as, as a film, I just. I just can't quite get behind it. I think it's the lack of sophistication in its narrative um, skills, right? That is. Yeah. yeah the, certainly, visually, there are interesting things there. It's a bit Spartan. And I mean, that's certainly partly to do with the basic CGI available at the time because a lot of the other stuff is things that were shot in black and white and then rotoscoped. Yeah. It's, that was all just old school techniques and then you get the strange things. As Scott mentioned, the, the solar sailor, why... I, I, I don't understand what that was for either but um, those CGI the tanks and things and they're they're very basic certainly by today's standards even by just a couple of years after Tron I think but even just the skill of doing the <laughs> have you seen a stealth helicopter <laughs> we are tending toward Tron <laughs> and but what is actually quite interesting I watched this the Blu-ray of this um, a couple of weeks ago and actually, in high definition, I think because it's so, in some ways, Spartan, but everything's so sharp that it actually looks really, really good in HD. It's so kind of crisp and clean looking. It's actually mm. done a, some films, uh, a high definition transfer kind of shows up. It Tron, it actually mm. benefits from it, which is uh, just mm. kind of interesting side note there. For the rest of it, the big problem I have, um, and I don't have this sort of vehement, vehement dislike that I used to have in my younger days, but... It's just boring, and that's my biggest problem with it. It's not very interesting, and I actually, and I wouldn't have known it um, at the time, and it's such a long time since I've seen it today, I hadn't thought about it, but I'm watching it, and Bruce Boxleitner's on it, and I'm thinking, I really just wish I was watching Babylon 5 instead. And then mm. Peter Jurassic turns up, and I really, yeah. really wish I was watching Babylon <laughs> 5 instead. It's like, you've got Peter Jurassic and Bruce Boxleitner on screen at the same time, and I'm watching Tron and not Londo Malari and um, Sharon and so Yes, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's an interesting thing uh, cinematically, both in terms of yeah the techniques they're starting to use, the introduction of CGI into mainstream films. Disney taking a chance in a film like this is actually quite interesting, uh, and also the fact that at the time it's when video games are starting to get. I mean, they're quite big by the end of the seventies, but uh, before Atari and everybody else crashed. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, it's the first, in the pre-video game crash before Nintendo resurrected everything, it's kind of an interesting time period, and from, from as a historical artefact, I think it's quite interesting. I just wish it was more interesting. And the only other good thing I have to say about Tron is that it did create those um, arcade games, including the light cycle game with the big rollerball, which I found fascinating as a five-year-old. <laughs> and I have to say, the most surprising thing, perhaps, at this point about Tron is that given... Um, the current gen of VR technologies has now been um, rammed down our throats for the past couple of years that someone hasn't jumped on the Tron bandwagon there. We haven't had, to the best of my knowledge, a current gen Tron VR game, which would seem to be... That'll be Disney licensing, I suspect. Yeah, you'd you'd like to think it would be a fairly obvious choice, but yeah, I guess Disney licensing, you're right. Oh, that mouse. Shall we talk about Avalon? Sure, why not? 
Why not? From Mamoru Oshii, the mind behind anime series Ghost in the Shell and Pat Labour, among others, cometh Avalon. Named for the Isle of Arthurian legend that homes the spirits of brave warriors slain in battle, this Avalon is an online VR game that occupies a good deal of society in the apparent near-retro future of some indeterminate <laughs> Central European state. Poland. It's Poland. They speak Polish. They so. speak Polish. It's all in Poland. It's Poland. Um, accessed via appropriately over-engineered headsets, uh, the game world doesn't escape for great numbers of a disillusioned populace, and the best players can even make something of a living out of their pursuits. On the other hand, ill-judged sorties into missions highlighted as being of particular danger can leave players severely mentally afflicted or unreturned in the real world. Our nominal hero of the piece is Ash, uh, and allow me to absolutely murder this um, <laughs> actress's name here, Malgorzata Formniak, a young woman with quite the reputation as a warrior-class character in the world of Avalon. Formerly a member of a renowned team, Ash now plays alone following some mid-battle discord that left her team leader, Murphy, quadraspasden on a life glug, <laughs> though she is eventually drawn back into the clan life as details emerge of a hidden special A-class level that can only be accessed by the most elite of players and which can only be escaped by completion. Failure, in this instance, is very much not an option. Avalon was Oshi's first non-animated venture, and it is immediately obvious that his anime mad skills do not necessarily translate into the live-action format. Mm. I was able to see Avalon back in 2001 in a limited engagement at a cinema in Edinburgh, and I immediately found engaging with the characters and setting nigh on impossible to the point that I fought to stay awake. No surprise there, I'll probably hear you two saying... But this <laughs> this wasn't some late night screening. This was a mid afternoon screening. Um, I had hoped that this, my first viewing since then, might have yielded some greater satisfaction. Surely my nascent critical faculties had missed something on that first pass, which my more informed adult self would appreciate. No, shot on the super <laughs> no. cheap in Poland. No, <laughs> the answer is no. Um, shot on the super cheap in Poland, uh, presumably as a function of O.C.'s fascination with tanks and hind helicopters, <laughs> and those things being. Available at their cheapest rates in that locale. Avalon is at once visually distinctive on account of its then-inventive caffeinol and Vaseline glamour glow filtered <laughs> sepia tones, though the fact that Apple started including this look as a live filter in its devices a couple of years later <laughs> has probably somewhat prematurely accelerated the ageing process of this particular aesthetic. The European architecture sits well within the overall look, and in terms of approximating the multiplayer map environment of any number of online shooters, it's a decent attempt. Again, it's just a shame that this hasn't remained as timeless as it might have done. If the movie is, visually at least, a decent attempt on goal, then less successful is the choice of score, a ponderous orchestral affair that continually evokes Arthurian imagery without actually having much point, and on more than one occasion seemingly serving only to pad out the running time as characters walk interminably along featureless <laughs> corridors. Corridors? Corridors as well. Stern, <laughs> stern colanders, all that type of stuff. Stern-faced and vacant. My suspicion is that Oshi imagined such indulgence might bring great unspoken emotional resonance to what is otherwise a largely uninspired, emotionally disengaged story. But it does not. It just makes such <laughs> scenes seem like really pretentious student catwalk shows. Chief among Avalon's failures, however, is that it just doesn't have much reason to exist. While, <laughs> while Tron succeeds as a ripping adventure yarn with an iconic visual aesthetic, Avalon has absolutely no such credential, and in terms of story, it certainly has little, if anything, to say about an emergent human condition precipitated by the advance of technology. It's a bit of a letdown, to say the least, especially when you consider that it was Oshi's first work in six years following the seminal Ghost in the Shell. I still feel as though I'm missing something here, but I'm judging by your reaction, Scott, you would have... <laughs> You would suggest I am not. 
No, I, I had much the same reactions to you both then and now. And it's probably, I think the disappointment's even more crushing because I was very much in my early days of a film appreciation career, if you can call it that. But uh, yeah, I had at that point seen Ghost in the Shell and loved it. So a new film from both uh, Mamoru Oshii and Kazunori Ito, I, I, I'm on board with that and was really looking forward to this. And it was uh, a bit of a damp squib. There's not really anything in this film. I think, again, echoing with Tron, visually I think it still more or less holds up. I'm not quite so enamoured with that filter, I think, just because it has been a bit played out, but it does kind of yeah. capture the first-person shooter aesthetics of the time quite well. Yeah. And and some of the action scenes where it's, uh, the effects work in that is kind of also quite stylized and works reasonably well still. I'm, I'm, I have no real complaints with that, but everything else, there, there's something about the way that uh, Oshi's approached this that just doesn't work. Um, you, you can see the shots that would work well enough if this was an anime. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes yeah. The way things are framed, the sort of staticness of some of the shots and the way things are going. Very it, anime. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that would work really well in an anime, but it just does not work with live action for whatever yeah. reason. Someone in a is. billowing cape with a huge rifle sort of shot at a Dutch angle against some sort of dilapidated building in a backdrop is, is something which yeah. you, you can imagine looking quite stunning in an anime setting, but here it's just like, oh, right, that's Poland shot through an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> And um, the characters in Ash at the start, it kind of comes across quite well as a, as a sort of mysterious lead for this sort of thing, but it, it never goes anywhere. You never actually no. learn anything about her past or her future no. of any real consequence. It, it turns out this is just the way she behaves in general, and it's not all that engaging for a protagonist. <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't have all that much to dislike about the film. I don't, I don't hate it, but I just watched it and was a bit nonplussed by it. Uh, but like yourself, I, I feel that it's grasping for something it feels like there should be some thematic well i think because oh she keeps he keeps keeps reaching for this sort of visual symbolism and it's things like the recurring motif of like and and it was something he carried through his anime works as well the image of the basset hound for Mm -hmm. and for no reason other than apparently he likes basset hounds but the way it's presented (laughs) in this you would assume it's got some sort of you know you would you would assume there's some sort of significance there which you are just missing you know yeah, just I, a slow tracking shot on a poster that's it not a tracking shot just like a slow zoom in on a poster for about five minutes which is a poster for the orchestra i was gonna orchestra event why, why do i feel <laughs> like i've completely bypassed <laughs> an absolutely normal word there concert um, so the, yes concert <laughs> that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> the poster for the concert at the end of the film which just says avalon with a picture <laughs> of the bass face and we're quite happy <laughs> we're quite happy to push in for about 10 minutes on this poster as though it's got some great significance um and clearly it hasn't it just feels like he's trying to force significance through repetition of this stuff and it's it's like it, the number of shots which are reused in this. I keep thinking to myself, is there some significance to the reason why we keep we keep seeing the shot reused of Ash on the tram home at night? And yeah. there isn't. It's just one has to just assume it was because he only had eight million dollars to play with here. <laughs> so he just concluded lots of travelling seeds. Oh, just I to, assumed it just to bulk out the game yeah. to do with like the repetitiveness of her non-game life. Yeah, but um. You could read that into it, but I honestly think for the vast majority, this is like a this is a decent short film or an engaging enough short film that has just been padded out purely for reasons of saying, well, it's not a short film now, it's a film film. And yeah, it, suffer, it's, it suffers from so much by way of... You have to wonder what audience they intended this film for because on that on that budget and with this thematic matter, this is, this is not a broad-spectrum appeal film, right? 
So you have to assume that the target audience are already familiar with the mechanics of gaming, etc. And yet this film has to explain everything, either via direct dialogue or worse yet, voiceover. <laughs> Every little you know, supposed nuance that I'm quite sure we could pick up on has to be heralded by this Games Master figure or conversations between Ash and Stunner, for example. And you're just thinking, wait, are, are you asking me or telling me? I already know this stuff. And I'm assuming you are targeting yourself at an audience who would already know this. So why are we wasting time with this crap? Just crack on with it. I kept wishing or thinking that Games Master guy looked awfully like Peter Mullen. I kept wishing he was Peter Mullen. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the three of us going to see this at the film house and mm. all having seen Ghost in the Shell all be quite excited and the, I was the only person that did like it mm. um, and oh. turns out that's still the case then I don't remember quite why I liked it I just remember that I did and this time I liked it less than I remember liking it but I still liked it and, and I'm not sure why it's it's definitely not something intellectual because it all of your complaints about it are absolutely valid and I wouldn't disagree with any of them. The All those static shots of people standing along balconies and things and it, yeah, it feels like an anime in live action and as soon as you transpose one to the other, it just, it looks stupid, frankly. It doesn't work. <laughs> and certainly for the first half of this film, when I rewatched it recently, I was struggling to get into it and I was thinking, ah, oh, okay, uh, maybe I just don't like this anymore. But by the end, something emotionally felt different for me I was like by the end of the second half of the film I was like yeah I still really really like this That's, I find that kind of affecting and I'm not sure why mm. um, not a particularly useful thing to try and tell people when we're talking about films but mm. it's absolutely bypassed any sort of intellectual feeling about it because it yeah there's like those irritations like you mentioned Craig with the voiceover and the explanations of things and the, the, yeah that horrible brown filter is really visually wearing so maybe just by the time it turns into colour at the end it's like oh yeah. relief maybe that's why I like it more but I still think visually like at the time I think it, it was a it was a decent decision on Oshi's part I think he's been unfortunate there just in the way that like smartphone technology and stuff has developed <laughs> if, if we hadn't quite gone down that path we might still look at this and go well you know on a super limited budget it was a sensible sort of visual choice to make this film appear somewhat timeless I guess it's just a real shame that, yeah, that we have this fascination with filters now and that that, that exact filter is just a thing <laughs> that, that has become, like, just... So blasé. Yeah, just like, absolutely for... omnipresent and stuff. So I just... Um, that's a shame. It feels like that was one thing the film might have had going for it and then rewatching it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, this really hasn't aged well <laughs> at all. I don't remember it being this sort of twee um, visually. But I think that's probably just the way our perception of that stuff has maybe altered over the, the last years rather than any fault of the films on its own. On another timeline, this film might still look quite visually distinctive. but And I, I, I do really like that whole thing of, uh, you know, when the action freezes at the completion of a level and stuff and then stuff being snatched as bitmaps off the straight off the Z buffer kind of thing. That's that's still um that's still an interesting little aesthetic thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I seem to remember them doing more with that the first time. There actually wasn't that much in game per se action no. as I as I remembered this time. It is for the most part just a film about people sitting eating porridge and <laughs> talking to each other about really boring stuff. And the problem the problem with the action scenes in it are, as anyone who has ever sat and actually watched someone playing solo through a first-person shooter, it's, it's great while you're taking part in the action, but as a, as a spectator sport, 
And I know millions of Twitch users will disagree. But certainly when it comes to solo stuff, as a spectator sport, it's not that engaging to sit and watch someone else playing a video game when they're the one having all the fun. No, I have um, friends did the appeal of live streams and things because I, yeah. I don't like watching other people play games at all because it's just not interesting. I love playing no. them myself, but I don't get the appeal of watching other people do it. I do think 100 years from now when VR does actually finally take off, it'll be, I like to think it'll be this version of it, where you're just basically spazzed out on a sofa wearing some sort of aborted Jamiroquai concept hat. <laughs> but apart, apart, from, apart from that, I don't think, I really don't think this film has got anything to offer whatsoever. I don't know, I'd, I'd probably only myself recommend it to maybe not even just anime fans who are kind of interested in seeing how it translates to live action. It might even only be the subset of Mamoru Oshii completist. And even then, this is probably skippable for me. Um, (laughs) I just just think it's dull, and I couldn't really connect with it, and I don't really know what it was trying to say, particularly when it does that sort of left turn in the final act, uh, which... You know, it was quite successful in throwing me for a loop, and I felt, oh, it's going to say something interesting here, and then it didn't. Um, I just I couldn't mine anything from it, and uh, yeah, it didn't really connect with me. The characters, I'm not. Possibly, I was just too bored by the first half to really uh, sort of give it a chance in the second half and have it create any sort of emotional connections that the true. But yeah, I, I just. I, just by that point, I'd, I'd pretty much checked out, if you know what I mean. The only interest I would have in watching this again would be, I understand that the US print has an additional voiceover part at the end, which to somewhat patronisingly explain to apparently a US audience exactly what was happening at the end. And mm. my my pro, my problem with that is that I don't think anyone doesn't understand what's happening at the end. I just don't think there's any point to it. <laughs> it's not saying anything. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what part of it it is, but whether it's like saying something about the nature of reality or the mundanity of real life or something like that. There's just something in that second half, just somewhere inside it was having some sort of effect on me, but I don't think I could recommend it to most people. As Scott says, maybe for Mamoroshi completist, maybe. So I got a lot of more out of it than either of you, but it's because I even as well enjoyed the second half. That first half is a slog. Yeah, um, it's visually oppressive. I mean, because that that aesthetic um, and so at the time, yeah, more interesting choice than now. It seems yeah. so kind of tired now, but even if that, it's just become so oppressive to have that. It's basically monochrome, but it's gold rather than mm. black and white. Uh, but it's quite visually wearing listen i just think from a perspective of everything that this film is trying to represent it's not even that it almost does too good a job i just think it's really ineffectual what it's doing i before i had children i used to spend an awful lot of my free time gaming playing stuff online a lot of time playing online like routinely like five hours a night do you know know what i mean (laughs) much more than i should have done and i wouldn't i wouldn't have said that i was living the life of an international man of mystery, right? <laughs> but even my life was not as mundane as this. And when I was playing stuff online, I was a lot happier and having a much more exciting time than anyone playing online in this. So I'm not sure what this film is trying to say. I just don't get it. I just, I, I, I just, 
and I actually, the more I'm talking about it now, this is one of those where normally we sit here and I go to, I say, well, the more I think about this, the more I'm convincing myself actually I enjoyed it more. <laughs> actually, the, the more I talk about Avalon, the more I think <laughs> I absolutely goddamn hated it. <laughs> Are there any films that have pulled this off successfully then? The sort of portrayal of gaming? And if, and if so, what have they done differently that these films haven't? Because to my mind, I think there might be some sort of fundamental issue here and that we're dealing with two separate mediums that operate on different level and perhaps never the twain shall meet. But at the same time, with the way, in certain respects, these technologies of the way are, are increasingly converging, right? So there has to come some point where there will be the perfect union of game and film um, and it will be a revelatory experience for all involved. But I can't, I can't imagine yet what that might be if we're still at a stage where we cannot make an interesting film out of gaming culture yet? I can't think of any. And to be honest, I'm not sure there ever will. It's it, it's tough to know what aspects of playing a game you could translate into being on a movie that would make any sort of sense and that wouldn't end up just being some sort of relationship drama about people playing a game, <laughs> at which point it could be a relationship drama about people doing pretty much anything. Yeah, it'll, be a David, it'll be a David Cage joint, won't it? Yeah. Oh, oh God, <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. But I can't, see, I can't see a film made about the act of playing a game ever being in any way successful, because it's just not something that would no. ever... Yeah, it, it's not a narrative that would compel anyone, other than the person playing the game. Yeah. So, yeah, and there are games for that, so... Yeah. <laughs> Get things like Hardcore Henry, which are trying to get that sort of idea, but really it's more just a, an action film with a very distinctive point of view. It doesn't really yeah. give anything about games. It's like, yes, you can see that it's inspired by first-person shooters, but it's not really yeah. doing anything special with that. And that film is actually considerably less um, nauseating than I expected it would be from the <laughs> yeah. trailer. But it's, yeah, yeah. Um, it's sort of just, um, yeah, you're seeing it from a first-person perspective and that's kind of unusual but it's not I was going to say it's literally just it's literally just an action movie through a GoPro isn't it yeah yeah yes. pretty much um I mean I suppose it does pull off an incredible trick of making um Charlotte Copley vaguely tolerable for 90 minutes um, <laughs> which I would have either thought either two thought that's impossible harsh, but man. that's harsh uh, have you seen <laughs> Maleficent oh no, I haven't actually. Don't, don't, because you will be offended forever by the accent Charlotte O'Connor oh, uses. Is, is that the one he does a Scottish accent in? No, I don't know what country it's from, but it's not here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what people think it is. But I, I, being Scottish, I know what they sound like, and no, it's not. <laughs> but you will just be offended. <laughs> Your accent is from the other place. <laughs> no, did did she do any? Did she do any other live action movies after this, or did he just revert back to anime type? Because I don't think this was critically all that well received. No, I think this one kind of went quietly into the night. I don't think he has. Because I I would never discourage someone. I would never say you should never attempt this again. But on the evidence of Avalon, I certainly think, you know, he would need to go and regroup and rethink live action movie making a great deal before he entered that realm again. Unless, I don't know, maybe he was really happy with this. Oh, actually, um... Thanks to the wonders of uh, Wikipedia. He, he did actually do it for a couple of non-animated films before then, The Red Spectacles and Stray Dog Kerberos, Pan- Kerberos Panzer Cops, uh, which... <laughs> <laughs> of course! Another live-action film, Talking Head, back in 1992, so all that would have been before it. Uh, but after this, he went on some bit of the Animatrix, Skycrawlers. That's interesting, then. That must have been only sort of shortly before Ghost in the Shell, then. 
2012, he was announced to write and direct military science fiction thriller, thriller Garm Wars The Last Druid. Another live action film in 2015. Live action micro series in 2017. So, yeah, no, he's uh, keeping up with it. All right. Interesting. Yes. Well, I shan't necessarily be seeking any of those out. I think my advice with this would just be go back and watch Ghost in the Shell again. You're never going to be disappointed, are you? Well, Kerberos Panzerkopf does have a couple of sequels uh, Kerberos Saga Rainy Dogs. And Kerberos Panzer Jaeger, so <laughs> just just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, like yourself, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to be beating down doors to see those. Oh. Although I, I suspect I may, uh, as you know, I, I have so much respect for Ghost in the Shell that I may actually wind up watching those uh, at some point down the line. But uh, yeah, I've not seen the top of my agenda. Yeah, I've not seen anything by Oshi since no. uh, the Skycrawlers. Mm-hmm. That's ten years Likewise, ago now, yeah. scarily. I, th- I think I haven't seen anything since the Ghost in the Shell. What, what was the Ghost in the Shell sequel? 2.0. Ghost in the Shell 2. Was it 2.0? Yeah, Innocence, I think that yeah. was the last Oshi thing, Oshi joint I saw. I shall oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, if you're... Ghost in the Shell 2 is in, it says Ghost in the Shell 2.0 is the remake of Ghost in the Shell with CGI yeah, instead. Just just to keep things nice and simple. So innoc- <laughs> innocence then, yeah. Yes, innocence. innocence. 24's Innocence, yeah. So if you guys do end up checking that stuff down in the line, I'll wait for you to report back before I decide whether it's worth my while <laughs> investing in it. Oh, really? Yes. Just looking at the his timeline, though, it's, Ghost in the Shell was 95, his next film's Avalon, and then his next film's Ghost in the Shell 2, and he, that's all he did in 10 years. Yeah. Okay. I was like, he considered Avalon a big misstep there, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> retreated very much retreating back to what he knows so I guess that will wrap us up for tonight then uh-huh. uh, so thanks very much for your attention um, if you would like to get in touch with us you can do on a number of vectors you could use the twitter vector uh, we are on there at Film. you can see us on facebook facebook.com slash Film, or indeed email podcast at fudsonfilm.com and yeah we'll be back with you another 10 days where we talk about some random films that we've seen this month but until that time it's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from Drew fairly well and a goodbye from Craig bye bye ta-da bye bye